welcome to the first edition of a new podcast for the NFU called NFU Talks. Um, my name is Kevin Pierce. I'm the NFU's Director of Membership and Regions, and um, I'm your host for this edition. I'm delighted today to be joined by my colleague, uh, Nick von Westenholtz, who is the NFU's Director of EU Exit and International Trade. So Nick's in the thick of things at the moment with all the talk of the Agriculture Bill, uh, EU Exit, uh, and and the challenges we face in front of us over the next couple of months. So I guess, uh, Nick, the, the first place to start probably is following the debate in, in Parliament last night. Where, where would you say we are at the moment in terms of the Agriculture Bill and leading then towards EU Exit? Yeah, so so the bill is kind of coming to the end of its uh, its life. It's been a it's been a long time long long time coming because this is actually the second agriculture bill. The, f- the first one came out uh, over two years ago, um, but with the general election last year, that one sort of uh, fell, and so it was reintroduced at the beginning of this year, uh, and finally it's really hitting its last stages in Parliament. So the ag bill itself will soon become an agriculture act. Um, and then, of course, uh, in just a couple of months' time, uh, we'll actually formally be leaving the transition period uh, that, that we're in at the moment uh, as a sort of almost like a semi-member of the EU. Mm. Uh, and from the 1st of January, we then really are outside of the single market, outside of the customs union uh, and the real kind of effects of, uh, uh, of, of Brexit will begin to be be felt so it's all an awful lot happening uh, very very quickly i think you know i would say just with the agriculture bill it's vastly improved from the one we we first saw all those uh, all those months uh, indeed years ago um, and i'm sure listeners will will remember that when that originally came out michael gove was the secretary of state uh, and there was a huge amount of concern that you know, the, it, the focus was really on the environment, on greening, um, and there was very little mention of of food, of uh, farmers as food producers, issues such as food security. This bill is definitely much improved. Um, the NFU worked very hard over that time uh, trying to get improvements to the bill, and, and I'm pleased to say, uh, you know, we've won some of those battles. Not all of them by any means, but but some yeah. of them. And, uh, and what were some of those key things then, that we wanted to see in this bill that weren't there originally so certainly there was as i said very little recognition of food production and food security um the the core of the bill really is the the new public money for public goods system um which will mostly be involved in the new elms which is being developed over the next few years and originally that was very much focused on uh, environmental goods, environmental activities and, and uh, broader public goods, um, with whether or not they had anything to do with the job of farming, which for an agriculture bill we felt was, uh, you know, was pretty much a, a major omission. But now it, all of those public goods needs to uh, take food production into account, which is really important. So um, there can't be any system that actually... Uh, uh, clashes or comes up against farmers as food producers, uh, or, or certainly we hope so, and that the bill will safeguard that. There's also a commitment now in the bill for the government to report regularly on food security. Uh, and originally that was a win, but they said they'd only do that every five years, and we've secured an additional win since then that that's going to be every uh, every three years. Um, 
so you know those are those are they're, they're sort of subtle improvements in a way but actually fundamentally they're really important to making sure uh, we've got an agriculture bill that's about agriculture but ultimately the, the the agriculture bill is not the end of this in fact it's not really the uh, it's it's hardly the start because it's a framework bill it gives government the powers to deliver a new system and to pay farmers for certain things but the details of all of that uh, are actually still to be developed you know that that is in the government's gift so defra working to develop elms and other schemes around productivity etc are the really crucial things that happen now uh, they, they have been happening a little bit not as much as we would have liked um, but the, you know the next uh, months and years in developing the future system are going to be actually the really the really crucial bits the agriculture bill has been improved as a framework for that but the details are what's going to be crucial and and a lot of the discussions and what I was listening to last night is about standards mm. and and you know what's the importance of that in this bill yeah so so the standards uh, issue is not in the bill at all that's that's where where you know one of the big uh, um, shortfalls in the bill that, that we identified I, I think there is an argument about whether the agriculture bill or the trade bill or or even anything else is the correct place to deal with the issue of trade and standards which is what our concerns are you know to, to put it very sim- simply how do we control the standards of food imports as of next year particularly under the new trade deals we're going to be signing in a way that don't undercut our farmers because very often our farmers are having to produce the higher standards with higher higher costs um, I think the agriculture bill is the place for those sorts of safeguards to be to be put uh, it's all about sustainable farming uh, it's all about supporting high standard farming in the uk so it seems quite right that uh, alongside that there should be provisions to make sure that farmers aren't undercut uh, by imports produced to, to lower standards but the government has has resisted that and continues to resist it and frankly it's very frustrating because those commitments are in the government's man- own manifesto you know they've said we will not allow our, our standards to be compromised in in trade deals um and i think the the concerns on the government side are that if you go too hard and fast on these requirements if you say no food can come into the uk unless it's produced to exactly the same standards that actually will will not only make doing any trade deals very difficult but it actually will start impacting on food we already import uh, from the eu and other other countries and of course we have to take those kind of issues seriously because food supply for the wider population is in is important um and that's one of the reasons that we've come up with a really sensible compromise which is to establish a trade and agricultural commission something we've already won um but actually to have that commission advise the government on its trade deals and to report to parliament on what the impact of those trade deals would be so if for example the government negotiates a trade deal with the u.s and as part of that trade deal it does it will allow, uh, say, poultry imports produced to lower welfare standards, to, to worse stocking densities, etc. The Commission can report on that 
and can make that spell that out in black and white to Parliament. This is what will happen under this trade deal. And then you hand over to MPs in Parliament the decision about whether they're going to accept that or not. If they accept that, well, that's democracy, quite frankly. Um, and I think, you know, that would be a, a bad result for us. But uh, I think with this government, with the manifesto commitments, it's also got around doing trade deals. We have to accept that there is a there's a middle ground somewhere there that, that we have to, to meet them. And it seems to me democracy is a pretty reasonable mid- middle ground. Yeah. But is there anything legally in place at the moment to force the government to trick, they take trade deals to Parliament? to be ratified? Because I know a lot of other countries around the world, they have a process to go through and their parliament ultimately, ultimately ratifies a trade deal. Is, is that what is being talked about here? It is, uh, and it's very weak in the UK. Um, it's not non-existent. There are ways that MPs can... Um, object to trade deals and try and stop them from being ratified but they're they're really um uh, sort of arcane and difficult and cumbersome uh, if i can put it as simply as 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 possible essentially the government tables a trade deal in parliament for parliament to look at and if they don't vote against it within 21 days, it automatically becomes law. If they were to, and that's actually quite a difficult thing to do because they're not given a debate in Parliament and a vote, they have to find some slightly uh, outdated ways of engineering a vote against it. But if they were to, the government can just retable the amendment and let another 21-day deadline pass. So actually what it means is if you have MPs who really do object to a trade deal, what they have to do is essentially organise themselves to vote against the trade deal six, seven, eight times a year, every year. I mean, it's a sort of absurd system. It would make much more sense for government to do a trade deal, arrange a debate in Parliament, arrange a vote at the end of it for MPs to say yes or no, and then it and then it's done. And if you could have the Trade and Agricultural Commission feeding into that process, providing MPs with the information and chapter and verse on what the trade deal will mean before that debate and vote, then it seems to us you have got a perfectly sensible, mm. manageable system uh, for for Parliament scrutinising trade deals. And it, it's not stopping the government doing trade deals. Uh, it's not stopping them doing the negotiations or hampering the way they conduct those negotiations. It's just at the end of the process saying to Parliament, are you happy with what they've got or not? And that seems to be totally rational. So, so we could end up then in, in the long run with some serious delays in terms of agreeing trade deals because it keeps getting pushed back. Well, that's right. And, and I think more to the point is... Is it actually makes it more difficult for the government if they don't allow proper transparency and scrutiny mm. of mm. of the trade deals because and we've seen this this is not you know the nfu being difficult or troublemaking we've seen this all across the world when countries try and do trade deals without being absolutely frank with their populations so a few years ago we had what was called ttip which was the transatlantic uh, was the transatlantic trade and investment partnership so that's the trade deal between the eu and the us that's fallen away they could never agree and one of the big reasons was the public in the eu and to a lesser extent, the US, were very sceptical about what was happening in those trade deals. And you got protests and demonstrations and massive campaigns against them so that neither neither side could really move to try and get a, a final agreement. 
and I think this is what happens when uh, you know a country doesn't turn around and be totally straight up with its population. You know, people are skeptical about what's actually at play here and what really is going on. And when that happens, people will will protest and, and demonstrate. So it actually makes sense for government to, 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 to do a lot better than it is at the moment on, on trade scrutiny. But they do do seem resistant. And, you know, I won't pass any comment about the government's general approach to uh, to Parliament and MPs having a, a say on things. But let's say I think this uh, this approach on trade scrutiny is fairly consistent with, uh, with its approach on a whole load of other things. No, it's there's been quite a lot of talk in Parliament, and there's been articles written by commentators and and uh, parliamentarians that basically paint the NFU in the light of, you know, we are trying to put in place measures that would delay or restrict trade deals. Is there anything in what we are doing that prohibits the government making a sensible trade deal with somebody? No, there isn't, quite frankly. And I think those kind of criticisms are are pretty misjudged and ill-placed. And they, I think those criticisms arise because the government has got itself into a bit of a bind on all of this. Um, you know, the government has a commitment on standards and trade in its manifesto. Um, all we're asking for is it to uh, put that commitment uh, in black and white for us. Now, to be fair, the government also has a commitment to go off and do trade deals and to have a, a generally trade liberalising agenda, which is something we absolutely recognise. And if they get it right, could really work for farming. We could find opportunities to, to export more of our great British food overseas. So, you know, this is not in itself a, a bad thing either. Um, but the government has now found itself in a situation where it's doing a trade deal, for example, with one of the biggest and most aggressive uh, trade negotiators in the world, the US, who also want to export lots of their food to the UK. We know what the risks involved in that are. We know that that clearly could, is, is likely to involve imports of food into the UK that have been produced to lower standards than ours. So it's totally legitimate for us to say to government, how are you going to do that, tie up that deal with the US, and at the same time, meet your manifesto commitment on standards. Just turning around and saying over and over again, don't worry, we won't undermine our standards, isn't good enough because we can all read the papers, we can all follow social media, we can all see what the US wants out of these deals. Therefore, the government needs to explain precisely what its approach is going to be and how it's going to meet its commitment. We are not against a US trade deal. If we can get the right US trade deal, that could be beneficial for UK farmers. Brilliant. But we are against a US trade deal on the wrong terms that actually throws our farmers under a bus. And, and if you look at this from another perspective, surely there are hundreds of thousands, probably millions of food producers around the world that would be delighted to access our market on the same basis that we can produce. So this, you know, there are, in my background in the NFU, I've seen many times many countries that would love the access um, and will be prepared to meet our criteria. In fact, a lot of them already do it because they supply our major retailers. So surely this can't be the issue that is being portrayed to be? 
Absolutely. And you get US beef in the UK. Uh, and that's because it has been produced hormone free to meet the, the requirements of, of, our, of our UK regulations. Um, you're absolutely right, Kevin. The, the, uh, many of the farmers I speak to around the world say, well, look, fine, you tell us what the standards are and we'll, we'll, we'll see. Now, um, I think it's difficult for us to object to competing out in the marketplace if uh, those other products have been produced uh, under the same requirements as ours. Indeed, if we want to go and try and sell more of our food abroad, which I'm sure most of us would love to, and open up those markets and grow our, our agricultural sector, we would accept having to do having to do the same. So all we're asking is that uh, that there's a, a fair a fair playing playing field. But yeah, it comes back to one of the issues here is we have also, as a country, chosen to, to, to as our first trade deal negotiate um, with, as I said, one of the the, the toughest uh, negotiating countries out there and probably one of two or three blocks in the world along with China and the EU who will stand their ground on the standards issue you know this is a point of of almost uh, philosophy for them their standards are right and therefore they will not be told uh, that any other body's standards are better and they will produce to their standards and export on those loads of other countries around the world will not be as dogmatic about it they would be quite happy to say if you're go- if we can have more access to your markets um, uh, then tell us what we have to do to, to, to get those and, and we'll, meet, we'll meet the higher standards that that might involve. Um, so yeah, there's a sort of strategic issue here, I think, with the way the government has, has approached its trade policy. But when it comes down to it, we're not asking for something that we're not asking of our own farmers. And I think that's the, the, the really critical point. This isn't protectionist. We're not saying we're not letting your stuff in. We're just saying... You have to do meet the same uh, um, high standards as our own farmers have to meet. Okay, and so, so in terms of this phase we're in at the moment, what 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 can we expect next over the next couple of weeks? So the agriculture bill is now in what's uh, quite excitingly called ping pong, which is the is the official term, uh, surprisingly, um, in Parliament for when a bill right at the end of its passage starts going back between the House of Lords and the House of Commons quite quite quickly, because ultimately a bill has to be agreed on by both houses. So when there are slight differences of opinion, as there still are on this on this one issue now, um, the bill will still keep ping-ponging between between the two. So next thing is the House of Lords will have another think about the bill and our expectation is they will probably send one single amendment back to the House of Commons trying to address this this issue again uh, around standards and uh, the expectation is it'll probably be one that gives the the Trade and Agriculture Commission uh, a stronger role, the, like I just discussed, in, in providing information and better scrutiny of Parliament for trade deals. After that, which will be uh, uh, next week, so I think the debate is the 20th of October, um, it'll then go back again to, to the House of Commons, probably just within a matter of days, and uh, they will have to decide at that point whether they agree with the, the House of Lords. I suspect that'll be the end of it. That'll probably be the last moment, because ultimately in these differences of opinions between the two houses in parliament the commons has to prevail so the laws won't keep 
chucking back stuff over and over again. They ultimately accept that they are the subsidiary house. And if the House of Commons keeps saying no, eventually they have to stand back. But there will be one last effort. And what I'll say is it's very interesting watching the debate last night. Um, even though only a handful of uh, government MPs, Conservative MPs, uh, voted against the government on the issue of standards, many more clearly expressed that they were sympathetic with the principles and the arguments here and while they were uncomfortable with the specific amendment that they were they were facing yesterday they did think that there was more government needed to do to, to get on top of this issue so I think if we don't see in the next few days government coming forward with its own proposals which it can do it doesn't have to happen under the bill but if we don't see that then when this bill goes back to the Commons next week um, there will be a lot of interest from, from MPs about um, uh, the amendment that's put before them. So, uh, you know, that will be a sort of a, a crunch point, I guess. Okay. Um, thanks very much on that. Look, I think um, there's a lot more we could talk about, uh, and we probably will come back to that in a in a future edition, particularly in relation to, you know, on the 1st of January, we exit the single market and the customs union, and, and whatever happens, that is going to happen one way or the other, with a deal or without. Um, without going into just to finish off this discussion, Nick, I was just wondering if you could just perhaps explain where do you think we are currently in terms of the negotiations between the UK and 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 the EU on, on, on deal, no deal, whatever. I know it's anyone's guess, but you've got as good a view as anybody I know. Yeah, well, uh, having said that the, the the next sort of week, 10 days is crunch for the agriculture bill. It's also crunch for the uh, EU-UK negotiations as well. At the end of this week, we've got the the uh, European Council uh, meeting, um, and that was actually the deadline uh, just a few weeks ago that the Prime Minister placed on the negotiations, saying if a deal wasn't done, then 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 it was sort of all over. I think we, we feel that that deadline has slipped uh, as a number of deadlines <laughs> around Brexit have slipped over over the years. Um, but there's no doubt that probably we've got two or three weeks maximum for a deal to be struck. My instinct is that if there's no deal by the end of this month and at the very latest, the first week or so of, of November, then the negotiators are going to have to pack their bags and go home and call no deal um, because any later than that, there just won't be time to implement it. Um, so what that would mean is of the 1st of January, we are trading with the EU on WTO terms. We would face tariffs on all of our ex exports into the EU market. Um, and actually, we may even struggle to export some goods at all because there could just be an embargo on certain food products into the EU. Um, of course, if there's a deal and you know you sort of are beginning to detect a few positive noises that there might be a deal, um, then that's very good for, for us in one way because it means those tariffs won't be charged and that is a real problem, particularly for, for food, food trade. Um, the the flip side is we still become a third country as far as the EU is concerned, so a, a, an external country like any other in the world uh, from January the 1st. And that means an awful lot more paperwork, an awful lot more checks, uh, bureaucracy, uh, uh, fees and charges in some instances on trade with the EU straight away. So actually... There is disruption and change coming, whatever happens on the 1st of January. And we really need to be 
prepared for this, um, particularly if there is a deal and there's a moment when the Prime Minister turns around and says he's secured a deal, not to sort of breathe a sigh of relief and, and, and think, well, that's it, it's all over. There would still need to be a lot of preparation done for the very significant change in circumstances as of the 1st of January. It'll be like nothing we've ever experienced. When we moved into the EU, there was a quite a long period of adjustment and adaption uh, and the market was much less integrated at that time as well but what we're doing here is overnight just uh, changing our status quite significantly and it is going to mean uh, mean a big change so that's my real main message at the moment is prepare for change because it's coming deal or no deal but at the same time cross your fingers and hope that, that there can be a deal that's got over the line Nick, thank you very much for that. I think it's a, a good point to end uh, this discussion on. Um, we will pick this back up uh, in, in the coming weeks as we perhaps understand a bit more of where we're going because there is a lot more, obviously, to the whole issue of tariffs and all and for people to understand actually some of the consequences that, that we may face for the 1st of um, January. But for now, Nick, uh, thank you very much. Uh, to anybody listening, thank you if you've uh, listened through this far to this first um, uh, and if you talk podcast and uh, there will be further additions trying to pick up on any of the current topical issues that we want to try and uh, explain and, and communicate and get feedback from uh, from our members and colleagues so for now uh, thank you very much for listening